morning, folks. Good to be together. Happy Christmas. Thanks. You usually say Merry Christmas to you too, but that's fine. That's okay. Scrooge. Um, how many people have got their Christmas tree up? A third of you. They have this tradition. They put trees up in houses. You know, have you ever heard of that? What is the worst part of putting the Christmas tree up? What is the lights? Absolutely. Who else thinks Christmas lights are the, are the nightmare? You, you put them away so neatly at the end of last year. You're thinking, you're not going to get me next year. You put them away so neatly in the box. You kind of lay them down nicely. Ravel, and as you take them out, it's like the elves have been into that little box and tied little knots in it and all this stuff. Yeah, who's with me? What a nightmare. So here's what we're going to do just to kick off this message. Uh, we're going to have a competition. So, ooh. so I am looking for three volunteers. John, Alan, and William. Let's hear from my volunteers. Yay! Woo-hoo-hoo! Guys, line up here. Okay. Tawanda, could you do me a favor? See those boxes over there? Or oh, William, there you go. Fantastic. Okay, take a box each. In these boxes, there are Christmas lights. On the count of three, you can, come on up here, Joe. On the count of three, these guys are going to open these Christmas lights. Now, we, do you know anything about this, guys? So there's been no preparation. You're going to be amazed how well they do. They haven't even like practiced or anything, right? And in a minute, they're going to open this box, and they are going to... They're not going to pl- don't <laughs> plug them in, right? We're, they're going to unravel it, and they're going to get... And the one who... And the winner... We'll get a bag of goals that they might share with other people at the ends. It might have melted by the time this game finishes, but that's okay. So uh, anyway, right, William, get in the center, man. You're, you're, I, I'm unbalancing the stage. All right, help me. One, two, three, Go! The more you panic, the harder it gets, the, t- the deeper the tangles get, guys. This might take about 20 minutes or so. Whoa! 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 Yay! We have a winner! We have a winner! The moment has come for the presentation, Alan. Well, there you go. Happy Christmas, Alan. You've got to share them with your family, mate. I am, yes. yes. Well, you, you, you can leave them plugged in. Just, you, can, you can decorate the front of the stage. Thanks, guy. Let's hear it for our volunteers. Thank you so much. I'll take that, William. Awesome. Wow. I mean, the, the crazy thing about Christmas is that... Thank you so much. Hey, John. John. Hey, John. <laughs> you can sit down there. Thank you. This, this is so often, this is so often like our lives, isn't it? Right? All kind of fangled up and tangled and chaotic and really a bit more random than we'd like it to be. Uh, and and we, we, want, we don't want it to be like that. We, we, we want life just to make sense. We want life just to be perfectly in line we want we don't want to have chaos 
We don't want to have things in, in random order. We, we like things lined up nicely. Uh, the truth is, I think is isn't, isn't there an insatiable desire in each one of us for things just to be simple, for things to be simplified, for things to make sense, for life to make sense, for there not to be chaos? We all want that. You know, life is meant to be simple. We went, you know, we, we fell in love. We met that person. We got married, proposed, we got married. We had the perfect child. We got the pay rise. We got the nice house and the area we wanted to live. And everything just fell into place. But so often life looks a little bit more like, like this than, than like the perfect that we'd all desire. We all want it to be nicely lined up. In fact, we, we so believe in the desire for something to have purpose and simplicity is that we've developed terminology all around the world to articulate our desire for there's got to be a purpose, there's got to be a simplicity, there's got to be a clarity. We say things like, everything happens for a reason. You know, in the middle of the chaos of life, we'll say, everything happens for a reason. And some people think, well, everything? Are you sure? Uh, you know, we, we say things like, well, people will say, what a coincidence. But there's something within you and you articulate and you say, I don't believe in coincidence because you, you feel there has to be some higher purpose. There has to be an agenda, even in the mess and the cluster and the randomness and the chaos of life. You have statements like, you just haven't met the right person yet. Usually you hear that on the back of things going wrong. Or I guess it just wasn't meant to be. As if the, up there somewhere there's an ultimate meant to be who orchestrates things and makes things just... Something within us just wants to make it all just work out just fine. Now, we've got that as human beings. I don't think that quest for having purpose, that quest for having clarity is in necessarily even the animal king. I think in my tortoise, I had a tortoise when I was growing up. My tortoise didn't think these thoughts. Like a tortoise would wake up in the morning, pop its head out of the shell wander around the carpet, do a poop on the carpet, and there would be a lettuce leaf. It would just eat the lettuce leaf, and at the end of the day, it would wander back around the carpet, back to its little spot, and pop its head back in its little shell, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't worry about it. Next morning, it wouldn't wake up thinking, where did that lettuce leaf come from? And how does this lettuce leaf connect with yesterday's lettuce leaf? And where did that poop go that I did yesterday? <laughs> and why do I have a shell and they don't? They don't, they don't ask questions about life, even though life is random. But Within human beings, we ask these questions. What's the purpose? There has to be some big purpose, even in the mess of life. And the reason we have that desire is, I believe, is because we've been created in the image of a God who has purpose. We have the thumbprint of God on our lives. Therefore, within each one of us, there is this desire that everything has to somehow make sense, that there's got to be an overarching purpose, an overarching agenda of God. We've been created in His image, and therefore, we believe in this idea of purpose. There's no greater story in the whole of the Bible and in all of history where God intervenes in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the insignificance, in the, in the midst of just life as it was happening, and brings about great purposes. There's no greater story than the account of what happened 2,000 years ago, a history, the history of Christmas how Jesus was born in the midst of chaotic life. Let me read you the account in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 26. It says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, 
to a virgin pledged to be married to a man called Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, this is, this is history. This isn't fable. This isn't myth. This isn't some um, makey uppy story like a fairy tale. This is talking about a real person who is a real descendant of a person who lived a king called David's, and it lived, it lived in a certain part of the world in the Middle East there. And uh, this, this, this was history. And in the middle of this very ordinary, normal life, probably a teenage girl, everything was probably plans. It was all set to be this nicely lined up life. She was planned to get married. Probably her parents had set up the marriage between her and Joseph. Uh, the plan would be that they would live in the family house. They would raise children, hopefully, and they would give their parents grandkids. And then eventually they would get old enough and hopefully they'd become grandparents. And then they would die and then no one would ever know the name Mary. She would just be another person. Why? Because she just she grew up in this dusty backwater, uh, this, this back of beyond place, the middle of nowhere. It was a time when no one cared about Israel or that part of the world or what happens in that part of the world. She would just be another nameless person thrown into the trash bin of history. And you would never know the name Mary. And he would never have known the history of all that happened. But God, in the middle of this very ordinary life, actually stepped in. And that's when things got chaotic, ironically. And it says, and the angel went to her and said, greetings to you, O highly favored. Say, highly favored. Greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. It's like in Wizard of Oz, are you the good witch or the bad witch? <laughs> and and then, she, then he said, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God and you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will give his name Jesus. And he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David's and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. And Israel had not had an independent kingdom for over 500 years. And now she was having this promise that she was going to have a son and his kingdom was going to be an everlasting kingdom. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, that was her cousin, is going to have a child in her old age. She who was said to be unable to conceive is in the sixth month of her pregnancy. For no word from God will ever fail. So 400 years of silence. That's between the end of the Old Testament and the coming of Jesus into the world, the birth of Jesus recorded here in Luke's gospel. 400 years, nothing. Silence. No prophet spoke it seemed like there was no activities of God. And yet, there wasn't silence on planet Earth. All over the world, the world was in chaos. Empires were rising and falling. They would have the Babylonian Empire, which it looked so solid and so established and so domineering. And yet, it was overthrown by the Medes and the Persians. And then the Medes and the Persians were overthrown by the Greek Empire with Alexander the Great. And then the Roman Empire marched on into history and obliterated the Greek Empire and established this huge empire. If you were born at any of those kingdoms, if you were born, you, your parents would have been born in that kingdom, you would have lived your whole life under that empire. 
You would have died under that empire and your, pair, your, your children would have lived under the empire. You would have assumed it's around for a long time. You would assume that's a lasting empire. And yet history shows that those empires just came and went. The plans of men came and went. The, things, the, the rise and fall of nations. And yet in the middle of all that was happening around the world, God was out working a plan. And God was bringing a plan in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the seeming meaninglessness of history. God was out working an eternal plan, working towards the end of an eternal kingdom. That's what was happening. God intervenes. Life's not random. God has a purpose. God has a plan. Mary, after this encounter with the angel, went back to normality. Actually, sub-normality. Things kind of went downhill. She had the baby. She, before that all happened, was Herod's heard of, in fact, before that, Caesar declared that there was going to be a census. And the census meant that they had to go back to the town of birth to register. And for them, that meant Bethlehem. Bethlehem was 120 miles away. That's like traveling, I don't know, from here to Paisley and back without a car. So that's like going on that journey, not on the M8, but on rough roads, on a donkey while heavily pregnant. Now, I've never, I've never done that. I mean, the donkey, but I've never, I've never ridden a donkey in my life. But I can imagine if you were heavily pregnant riding on a donkey to Paisley and back, that would be uncomfortable. It was a long journey. And so, you know, and then they arrived, the journey took so long, they arrived late. And then when they went around looking for accommodation, there was no room in the inn. And, you know, the, Mary, the angel didn't appear to Mary again. The angel appeared once, didn't appear again, and I bet she wishes on numerous occasions that the angel did reappear. You know, here we are. Angel, listen, could you not have reserved us a room in this inn? You know, special baby. And yet there was no room reserved. It didn't all just fall in line. And they had to find this, literally all that was there was a stable. They just needed a shelter because she was about to give birth right there and then. And they just needed, right, where do we go? There. And they went into the stable, they gave birth and laid him in an animal's feeding trough. A king, Herod's, heard of the birth of this child, and in his jealousy and in his rage, decided he wanted to do away with this child. And this is where the Christmas story takes a sinister turn. The, the, the tragedy that happened in this moment, the sinisterness of what happened, has the potential to overshadow the romance of the incredible story of Christmas, where Herod orders his soldiers to kill the child that's been born. And all the children in the vicinity around Bethlehem, under two years old, were killed. Mary and Joseph, having been warned in a dream, ran for their lives to Egypt, became refugees in Egypt, son of God. You know, and she must have been thinking, you know, you warned us about the impending danger that Herod posed. You gave us a dream. We escaped. But could you not have warned all those other people? Or could you not have sent that angel to deal with the soldiers? I mean, there's a lot of unanswered questions, as in with life. It's just, it's just really messy. And we want it all to line up, but it doesn't always line up, even if we're highly favored, even if we're totally in the will of God. I mean, just being a, a Jewish young virgin, unmarried, that alone was controversial. Being pregnant, sorry, 
being pregnant while being a virgin who was Jewish, unmarried. That was controversial. And, you know, again, maybe Angel, you could come and explain this to them because she had no humanly plausible way of explaining this to her friends and family and the Jewish community in which she lives. Joseph even had a hard time believing it. It took a dream for him to believe it. It was messy. In fact, things turned really bad when years later, we find the situation where Mary's there. She's standing outside the court and she hears her son being beaten and being whipped within an inch of his life. Then next thing she sees is he's brought out with a robe and a crown of thorns, a blackened eye and blood streaming down his face. He's given a Roman cross and he's told to carry it and he's taken to the top of a hill where he's executed. Romans had perfected the art of execution. They perfected it to the point where they wanted to make the the criminal suffer as long as possible without dying so that they could be as long as possible, as painful as possible, and as humiliating as possible because they wanted to use it as an example to the world that you don't mess with Rome. And this whole story was unimaginable. The pain that Mary went through, she saw her son crucified. She saw her son die. Now, I know we romanticize it because we know how it ended up. But forget that for a minute. Imagine being in it. Imagine being in the middle of it. In the middle of this, what seems like random. It seems like a random act of Roman violence. Just another execution. Just another murder at the hands of Rome. A good person killed for crimes he's never committed. It seems so random. It seems chaotic. So I know, we know, we romanticize it. We know that on the third day there was a resurrection. But put yourself in Mary's shoes. Imagine you were there. Imagine you'd seen this child grow up. Imagine you remember that all the deaths around his birth. You remember running for your life to Egypt. You remember that what they called you because you were an unmarried pregnant woman. You remember all that. You remember what it was to be at the foot. Of the, you were at the foot of the cross now. And there's your son crucified. That's not how things should have gone. Was God in control or had God lost control? God was still in control. In fact, this was the very epicenter of God's activity on planet earth where at one point in history, one man who is God died on behalf of all men and women who are sinners. He died as the sinless one on behalf of us sinners so that we could be saved. This wasn't chaos. God was in control in the midst of the chaos. God was in control in the midst of what seemed to be random violence, yet God was in control. This desire we've got for everything to make sense, this desire we've got for there to be an overarching purpose, for us to be able to look back and see how it all made sense, that's there because it's the thumbprint of God on our souls. Because we were created in the image of a God who is a purposeful God, a God who brings design in the midst of chaos, has a plan in the midst of randomness. So Christmas, we remember that in the middle of a chaotic, random, purposeless, seemingly seen, God works. 
God works in unredeemable situations, in unredeemable job losses, in seemingly unredeemable marriages. God works. In the mess that we face every single day, God is a God who's not intimidated, but he works. God's in control. And on the third day, Jesus rose again, and he's alive right now. And by the way, some of you don't yet know him. And he died to save you. Why don't you come to him today? Place your life completely in his hands. Trust him to be your savior. You can do that today. I'll give you an opportunity at the end. Paul, 25 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, wrote this. He said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, In him we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan. Say plan. God is a plan. According to the plan of him who works everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. God has a plan, and he works out everything. Say everything. God works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will. Everything means everything. He redeems everything. He can use everything. He didn't necessarily cause everything, but he can use everything. God's eco-friendly. He uses everything. And the truth is that in the middle of chaos of life, The truth is this, and you need to know this from Christmas, God outworks amazing, beautiful, great plans, even though it doesn't look like God. Even though some of the stuff that's going on around you isn't God. It's evil people. It's evil you. It's evil devil. And yet good God outworks great plans in the middle of crazy chaos. Now, when the angel had finished talking to Mary, she didn't know the details. She didn't know about the donkey. She didn't know about Herod. She probably anticipated the rejection from her relatives because of the pregnancy. Okay, sure. But she didn't know about the donkey. She didn't know about Herod. She didn't know about the slaughtering of the infants in Bethlehem. Didn't know about that. She didn't know she'd be on the run for her life in Egypt. Didn't know that. She didn't know about the crucifixion. She didn't even consider that. She didn't know about the resurrection. She didn't know that 2,000 years later, a third of the world's population would be celebrating his birthday every year at this time of year. She didn't know that. She didn't know that he'd become the most famous person on planet Earth. She didn't know that years later, there'd be millions of people who are followers of Jesus. She didn't know any of that. But at the end of her conversation with the angel, she gave a very simple response. And I think it's a good response in the midst of not knowing everything. Maybe in a life, in the midst of a life that you're living where it's not tidy, it's a bit of a mess, you don't know everything, maybe your response can be the same as Mary's. Trusting a God who knows everything, trusting a God who's in control, trusting a God who has a plan trusting a God who is good. This is what Mary responded, and I hope you could respond the same. Luke chapter 1, verse 38. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your words. Isn't that credible? Not knowing everything that was going to come, she said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Could you say that as well? One, two, three. 
I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Say it again as a prayer. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So what we see here is this. We see two great things. We see a great God outworking a great plan. But then we also see a great response from a great woman. Yeah? So you can manipulate the world to work out the plan. You can't do that. God can do that. God can orchestrate things even in the midst of all the agendas that are going on, both spiritual agendas, demons and Satan, and human agendas, you and others, governments, policies, circumstances. But you're not at the mercy of all that. God can do something great in the middle of it. So, but that's God's prerogative. You can't change all that. You, and so many of us are trying to get the reins of our life and bring control and order. And you are limited, but God is unlimited. So what we see here is a great God outworking a great plan, but also we see a woman making a fantastic response to this great God. That's your choice. That's the bit we can do. Our response has so important. This is what, how Mary responded. This is how we can respond. And I just want to say to you that in response to a great God who's got a great purpose, you can respond with great faith. And so I want to just... In the last part of what I'm going to share with you today is I want to talk to you about our response. We trust the God who doubt works a great plan in the midst of it, but what is our response to him? What is this faith? Let me give you three aspects of this faith that you can respond to God with. First aspect of this faith is this. True faith is costly. Say costly. So what did she know? No, she knew that by accepting that she was going to have this child, she knew that that might mean being ostracized from the Jewish community. She would certainly face suffering at the hands of her fellow Jews. That's what she knew. She didn't know all the other prices that she was going to have to pay. We know it was very costly, not just at the beginning, but all the way through we knew it was costly. In fact, anyone climbed a Scottish mountain? Right? A few of you. Okay. The rest of you got to climb a Scottish mountain. That's your homework at Christmas. When you're climbing a Scottish mountain, you see the peak and you think, that's it there. And you work your way towards the peak. And when you get there, you suddenly realize, what? It's not the peak. What's the, thanks, Lord. I mean, he, God has so designed Scottish mountains that the bit that looks like the peak, when you get to it, you suddenly realize, that's not the peak. It's up there. And that happens about four times before you actually get to the real peak. Yeah. Wow. You think, oh, I can just make it to the peak. And then you get to the peak and you're like, oh no, I've got to get to the other peak. And that's so what it's like with the life of faith. Mary thought it was costly just to step one. Let it be to me according to your word. That was a costly decision. But how many people know that that was just the first of many costs that she was going to have to pay on her journey with faith? And it's exactly the same with you and I. You following Jesus. I remember when I decided to follow Jesus. Maybe today, maybe some of you today will decide to follow Jesus. Best decision of your life, an eternal decision with awesome eternal consequences. I made that decision to follow Jesus. Some of you have made that decision to follow Jesus and you remember it was costly. It, following Jesus, I, I wasn't just going to do it in a religious way. I was going to do it properly. And following Jesus, I knew would mean leaving sin. Some of the stuff I like doing, all right, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to follow Jesus. That's costly. Following Jesus meant making tough decisions that weren't necessarily comfortable decisions, but they were great decisions. Yeah? So following Jesus is a cost, following Jesus. But then, I mean, it was, it was like the first summit of a life of summits. 
And some of you can relate to it. I mean, I remember taking the step, leaving Glasgow, coming here to plant the church here in Edinburgh. And I remember that was a price we paid. And throughout our lives, we've had many prices we've paid. Same with you. You think, okay, following Jesus was a tough step. But you know, as you look through the journey of your life, God calls you to take another tough step. Because continually following Jesus is costly. And that's what following Jesus is like. Are you willing to give birth to the purposes of God? Are you willing to allow God to put something in you that will be birthed through you? If you're willing to live that life, I'm not talking about just ticking over as a believer, but I'm talking about someone who's actively pursuing the will of God and allowing God's purposes to be fulfilled through you. Then the truth is, it'll be costly. It's like you make one decision that decides all your decisions. See, when I was 15 and I decided to follow Jesus, then the decisions I made when I was 19 were already made. The decisions I made when I was 33 were already made. Because it's one decision that decides all the other decisions. Because your decision to go God's way, I don't reverse that. God doesn't reverse that. He takes you at your word and that's how you should decide it. Today I decide to follow Jesus. And that means... It's already decided when I make that choice about getting married, when I make that choice about how to handle that uh, integrity issue at work, it decides all your decisions for you. It's It's a costly but powerful decision. Now, Mary wasn't the only one in the Christmas account making costly decisions. You look at the Magi, look at the wise men. They paid a big price, okay? You think about it. The Magi were magistrates in a government in the Persian area. I mean, these guys probably traveled between 500 and 1,000 miles to find Jesus. They were experts in the stars. God revealed himself through the stars. How many people know that God can speak through what he's made? They understood something in the stars. They saw something in the stars that told them that a king has been born, and they were right. And it provoked them to go on a journey. Now, that journey, they didn't know how long. We know it was probably 500 to 1,000 miles one way. It could have taken them by camel months in one way. We know that their journey began at least two years before because that's the time that Herod knew that the child had been alive. So I don't know how how long they'd been on the roads, and I know that they traveled through bandit-ridden territory with very expensive gifts. Now, these weren't hippies, okay? It wasn't like they had nothing better to do with the time. Yeah, hey, bro, let's go look for the Messiah. Yay, that'd be cool. So they, let's just journey. Yeah, we'll just journey and we'll do this cool thing. No, they weren't hippies with nothing better to do with their time, okay? They were most likely married men. They were carrying government responsibility. So for them to go on this journey, it was costly. It's like, imagine you telling your wife, hey, honey, yeah, me and the guys have seen this star. It means we're going to go on a journey. How long is it going to be? We really don't know what you're going to take. The most expensive gifts through dangerous territory. When will you be back? Not sure who's been born. God. I mean, seriously. right? Nothing sits right about this whole story. And yet, they did it. They, that's incredible. That's incredible. They went on this journey. I don't know how long they've been traveling, but that's faith. Because faith goes on journeys. Faith pursues God. Faith believes 
Even when others around you don't believe. That's costly faith. And then they arrive in Bethlehem and they say to Herod, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And Herod gets the Jewish experts and say, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? And the Jews get their Old Testament scriptures out and they quote one of the prophecies. Well, Micah prophesied that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was six miles from Jerusalem. The Magi went to Bethlehem, found Jesus, worshipped Jesus. They got their answer. They were not unsatisfied. They were overjoyed. The religious leaders, in contrast, those who knew the prophecies, they weren't even willing to travel six miles. That would have taken them two hours to walk. I mean, do you not think, like the religious leaders, the Messiah has been born? Let's walk for two hours just to check it out, just to see, just maybe. They weren't willing to even walk that. That's ludicrous. Isn't that crazy? So often people can be deeply religious and yet completely miss God. And yet the Magi, this is what made them wise. They had faith and they knew that faith wasn't on the fence. Faith wasn't just a, an intellectual thing they had. Faith was something so deep that sometimes it would cost, sure, but it was all worth it. That's what they were like. And our response has got to be, do you know what? It might cost me. It, it, it not, might not be the easy route, but let's respond with Mary, Luke 1, 38. I am the servant of the Lord. Say it with me. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. See, many people have this thing. They believe in God like someone believes in a parachute. So you're sitting in the plane and you look at the parachute and you say, do you know what? I know if I was to put that parachute on and jump out the plane and pull the ripcord, it would open up and it would, it would slow my descent and I would land safely and I know that it would work. I know it, absolutely certain. But you have no intention of putting that parachute on. You're not jumping. No way. You'd rather go down with the plane. And many people ask what their faith in God is like. Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Of course I believe in Jesus. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe he came into this world. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose again. I believe all that. I believe he is the savior. But you have absolutely no intention of letting him be your savior or letting him be the king who rules over your life. It's not faith. Say, I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in this and I believe. That's not faith. Faith is a guy who says, give me that parachute. I'm jumping. Faith is a guy who says, I'm going to trust in Jesus. I'm going to place my life in his hands. I'm going to step out and follow. Live a life of faith. And sometimes faith is costly. But here's the truth. At Christmas, the price Mary paid and anyone else paid was small comparison to the price that God paid. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. God giving his Son, God becoming a man, was the biggest price ever. God left the realms of glory, entered into human existence, knowing full well that at the end of it, he would be crucified for the sins of the world, being the perfectly holy God that he was, dying on behalf of the fallen, broken world that had rejected him. That's incredible. That's costly. On the third day, he rose again, and he is the certified savior of the world. Believing in him gives you eternal life. Truly believing in him gives you eternal life. That's what the Bible says. 
The biggest price at Christmas was the price that God paid. Are you willing to say today, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word? Second aspect of Mary's response, in the midst of what seemed like chaos, in the midst of what seemed random, her faith, firstly of all, was a costly faith. Secondly, true faith, perseveres. Say perseveres. Faith is when you trust God, even when it seems like he's not doing anything. At many points in Mary's life, I'm sure you could have just taken a snapshot and thought, what is God doing? Or what is he not doing? You know, it's so many points. And my guess is, my guess is, at any point, if we stopped you in the middle of this year, like in July, or in the middle of February, or later in autumn, Imagine we stopped you and just interviewed you. How's your life going? Does it seem like the Lord is at work? I'm sure there'll be many points where you'd be thinking, it seems like God is doing nothing. My heart is breaking. I'm crying out. But it seems like God is doing nothing. But true faith perseveres even when it seems like God is doing nothing. Again, the Bible, what I love about the Bible is the Bible is just this. That's what the Bible is. The Bible is just a presentation of one messed up person's life after another. That's what it is. Look at even the heroes of faith in the Bible. You look at it. It's, it's just a mess. The, the, I love how the Bible just shows you, and they made this mistake. I'm really glad I'm not in the Bible because all my mistakes would be on, <laughs> out there for the world. Hey, best, world's bestseller. Have a read of this. Right? There's so-and-so's life. and the, the Bible is just full of one person after another whose life was chaotic and it was a mess. And God worked up a great purpose. And they persevered in the midst of it. So you see, Joseph, as a teenage boy, he, he conceives the dream of God. He conceives and was willing to be a vessel of God to do God's will in his generation. He has this faith that God's going to use him. He has this faith that eventually God's going to make me into someone who is an influencer. He knows this in his heart. He was a teenager. And God spoke that to him. And yet, from that point forwards, it seems like everything... <laughs> Everything goes wrong. His brothers tried to kill him and then sell him as a slave and lie about his death to his father. The, 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 the next thing is he's a slave in Egypt and he's doing great. And then the next thing he realizes, having done great, he's accused of committing adultery and he didn't commit adultery. And he's put in prison. I mean, wh- wh- how, how does this in any way resemble? And this is not like months. This is years. This is years. This does not resemble the dreams he had as a teenager. This does not resemble what it looked like. Man, this is this great call of God. It doesn't resemble it. His life doesn't look anything like it. And he's a prisoner. And then he thinks he has a hope of getting out of prison, and he doesn't. He ends up pushing the prison again. But then he comes out as prime minister of Egypt. Isn't that incredible? And that's exactly how God works. True faith perseveres. Say perseveres. Now, we don't like that. We, we're in an instant society. We want microwave faith. We want instant results. We just want, God, do it my way. Do it, you know. What if sometimes life looks like he's not at work? I wonder why God's given us a Bible, eh? Maybe God's given us this Bible to encourage us, because he knows that 
as long as this world is a fallen world, as long as the devil is still active in the affairs of humankind, as long as we still battle with the sin nature that's within each of us, it causes all the chaos and disruption in our life. As long as that's on, there's going to be mess. It's not going to be plain sailing. But the truth is this, the God of eternity, the God of Jesus Christ, the the God who brings salvation, the God who can change life, the truth is this, God can outwork a great purpose in the midst of the chaos of life. Faith is trusting in him, even if it doesn't look like he's working at all. Corrie ten Boom, who survived the Holocaust, she was a believer in Jesus, and she said this, when a train goes through the tunnel and it gets dark, don't throw away your ticket and jump off. You just sit still and trust the engineer. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12 says, in reference to some of the Old Testament heroes, it says that we are to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. You notice the extra ingredient they added? Maybe that's where, our, maybe that's the bit we've not got right. We just have, we put our faith out there. But maybe we've got to mix in with our faith a bit of patience or a lot of patience. And this dynamic combination, this promise accomplishing combination of faith and patience mixed in together is what caused the great people in the Bible, not just patience through a few months, but patience sometimes for decades to inherit what had been promised. That's faith. True faith perseveres. And you see it in the lives of people like William Wilberforce, who in the 18th century fought to see slavery legally abolished in the UK. For 18 years, he petitioned Parliament, petitioning them to abolish slave labor. Year after year, he was knocked back. Year after year, he was, he was discouraged because he gave it everything. And year after year, the politicians threw it out. But on the 18th year, the bill was passed. Slave labor was legally abolished. Only months afterwards, William Wilberforce dies. Mission accomplished. Job done. Faith and patience. So are you willing to say, sure, it might not look like I thought it would. Sure, it might not be what I hoped, or it's taking longer to see what I hoped happen. But are you willing to say with Mary, I am the servant of the Lord. Help me, one, two, three. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That sense of purpose we've got, that sense of in the middle of all this chaos, there has to be a great purpose. That is the thumbprint of God in your life. It is because God is a purposeful God that you even believe that. So first of all, faith can be costly. Secondly, faith perseveres. But thirdly, true faith steps out. Say steps out. You see, we want it all mapped out. We want it just to be, we want at the beginning of our journey with God, we want God to give us like a map. There you go, son. That's exactly how it's all going to go. And you see it. All right. Okay. I knew that was coming. That's great. Okay. I'm ready. But he doesn't do that. He just, he just calls us to take that first step. And as we take that first step, we trust him for the rest. True faith steps out. Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, for we live by faith and not by sight. The journey we journey 
isn't like God has said, here's exactly how it's going to go. I said, okay, God, before I make this decision to follow you, tell me exactly what's going to entail. Tell me what it's going to look like five years, 10 years, 20. We want all that, but he's not going to do all that. And you might do that with your business. You might look at your business plan. You might want to have everything mapped out in plan. You might do that with your family planning. You might do that in many areas in life, but when it comes to God, you're not going to be able to do that. And if your ability to decide to follow God is based on everything being predicted out and set out for you, then you are going to have massive problems following God. Because God calls you to step out and trust him no matter what. God, if I step out and trust you, what about that relationship? Step out and trust him fully anyway. God, if I step out and trust you, how will that go down with that? I see, I see many uh, precious people from Muslim backgrounds making a decision to follow Jesus. And they know choosing to follow Jesus, I mean, what will happen with my family? And yet they make the step anyway. It's an incredibly courageous step. So for every one of us, it's a step of faith. You know, the African impala is is an incredible little animal. It's not very high, but it has this amazing ability to jump. The African impala in one jump can cover a distance of nine meters and can, you know, it's about about the width of this hall, it can cover the, the distance of that, and can go a height of three meters, can jump a height of three meters and cover a distance of nine meters in one jump, one bound. And yet, in a zoo, the African impala can be kept contained behind a one meter high wall. Isn't that incredible? This incredible animal that has the potential to easily escape, it can be contained quite easily behind a one meter high wall. Why? Because the African impala will only jump where it sees where it's going to land. And many people, like the African impala, are living restricted lives. Because you're only stepping out when you know how it's all going to work out. You're only stepping out and trusting God when you see it all mapped out in front of you. But true faith, it's costly, it perseveres, but true faith also learns to step out no matter what. You see, faith isn't a step into the dark. Faith is a step in the light. And it's trusting. And I think the reason God doesn't give us it all at once, gives us download. We have an incline of how he's going to lead us. Sure, I understand that. But the details are fuzzy. And I think the reason he does that is so that every step of the way we're saying, what next, Lord? And now next? Now what decision, Lord? That the connection, this relationship is constant connect. We keep the connection alive. It's not just, I'll see you at the end, Lord, and we don't pray and we don't walk with them. I think it's that constant. I think that's part of the journey. So are you willing, even not having all the answers, not knowing how it's all going to turn out, are you willing, like Mary, who took that step of faith, not knowing it all, and she said, read it with me. Luke chapter 1, verse 38. I the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Okay, I want you to pray that. You might even want to just put your hands out like that, close your eyes, and just pray that prayer. I am the servant of the Lord. One, two, three. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Father, thank you for everyone in this room today. God, we've come to the end of nearly the end of a year. We've taken this moment as we approach Christmas to remember the incredible Christmas account. God, thank you that in the midst of what seems like chaos with Herod's and with the journey 
and with the slaughtering and with the crucifixion and with the resurrection and with the, all the challenges that Mary went through, those we know of and those we don't. Yet we see that in the middle of what seems chaotic, you're a great God who's out working a great plan. God, I pray for everyone in this room today. Their life this year might have been chaotic. It might be they were wondering at several points, God, where are you? Maybe they even prayed that. Maybe, God, some people here have just been playing it completely safe, not willing to step out because they just don't know how it's all going to turn out. God, I want to thank you that you're a God who inspires in us faith. Thank you for the Christmas account. That account itself inspires in us faith. God, we want to be those who trust you no matter what is going on around us. We want to be those who trust you, God, no matter how much we know or how much we don't know. We want to be those who have faith in you, God, no matter how costly it is to have faith in you. So true faith is costly. True faith perseveres. And true faith steps out. Are you willing to be a believer? A person with true faith in God today? I just want us all to take a moment to reflect. Each one of us, each of you, take a moment to pray back your response to God. For some of you, it will be a decision to keep persevering and keep trusting. For others of you, it's a step that you know God's calling you to take, and yet you have not stepped out because you just, you're not willing to step out without having all the answers. And today God says, come on, step out. For some of you, it's that moment where it's actually now time to give God your life. It's now time to give God your whole life. Become a follower of Jesus. Not hold back anymore. Not just give him the bits of your life that you want and hold back the rest. But now is the time to give him your whole life. The God who gave everything for you now calls you to give your life to him. And trust him and go on this amazing adventure of life with him. So each of you just pray your own responses. If you're here today and your response is, Peter, today I need to put my trust in Jesus. I want him to be my savior. I want him to be my king and my Lord. I want to truly believe in him from now on. If that's you, I want to help you do that just now. Very simply, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I invite you to pray this prayer with me, one line at a time. If that's you, just pray this prayer under your breath to God just now. Pray, dear Lord God, today I make a decision. I put my faith in you today. Jesus, thank you for coming into this world. Thank you for dying on the cross to take away my sin. And thank you for rising again the third day. Today I place my life into your hands. And I choose to follow you, Jesus. No matter how costly and no matter what the future holds. I believe in you now. Let it be to me 
according to your word. 